segment on the weird science dc comics.com podcast i'm reggie my name is chris and we have no young animal book for you this week uh i think last week i'd said that mother panic was coming out i was wrong that... no, i think actually my uh my my frantic calls to the governor did get me stay of <laughs> you gotta stay because let you go for one week that's it anything yes. anytime you can get <laughs> because don't forget folks you might die tomorrow so don't always put off you know what you don't yes. want to do uh, as long as you can. That's my advice. Any any children that are listening. Um, so anyway, we had, you know, no young animal, but as we like to do, we're going to talk about a year in comics. But this time, it's a little different than what we've done, because neither of us were alive during this year. Nope. Um, we're going to be relying on the uh, research that we've done for Weird Comics History and Cosmic Treadmill, uh, and just sort of our knowledge and love of comics to talk about the things that were going on in comics but there were a couple of things happened that year i think chris outside of comics right it wasn't we were able to scrounge it wasn't up, all about comics yeah you know. we were able to scrounge up a few news items just a, a couple of things uh for one thing the vietnam war was raging on this was probably the peak point of the vietnam war many bad things happened this year too many to go over in a comics podcast Uh, And on April 2nd, the film 2001, A Space Odyssey, premiered in Washington, D.C. That was Stanley Kubrick's, uh, you know, genre-changing, genre-changing epic. And on April 4th, Martin Luther King Jr. is shot dead at the Lorraine Mattel in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, after that riots erupted in major American cities, lasting for several days afterwards. Um, On April 11th, U.S. President LBJ signs the Civil Rights Act of 1968. Uh, June 5th, uh, U.S. presidential candidate uh, Robert Kennedy is shot at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. He uh, dies the following day. And uh, July 17th, the news keeps getting better here. we got Saddam Hussein becomes the vice chairman of the Revolutionary Council in Iraq after a coup d'etat. I didn't realize realize his pedigree went back that far. Same here, yeah. That was surprising. So I was like, all right, I guess that was kind of in the work for a long time his uh, rise to power in Iraq. <laughs> on November 5th, Republican challenger Richard Nixon defeats the Democratic candidate Vice President Hubert, Hubert Humphrey and American independent candidate George C. Wallace. On November 14th, Yale University announces it's going to admit women. How about that? And on November 22nd, the Beatles released their self-titled album popularly known as the White Album. The same year as when they set up uh, whatever that was, Apple Records. Their, that was like their own mm. imprint. So... Uh, you know, after this, the Beatles, you know, they were making money, uh, you know, hand over fist. Now they're making money, you know, fist over foot, whatever it is. <laughs> Bigger than Jesus. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, we got a few birthdays, and I, I, I included one here uh, for a special reason here. January 14th, LL Cool J was born. Mm. And uh, we have something in common because uh, you uh, you represent Queens, and I was raised out in Brooklyn. That's very true. That's right. <laughs> Uh, on April 14th, the uh, patron saint of uh, Weird Science DC Comics was born. That's Anthony Michael Hall. 
And uh, on November 15th, uh, ODB, Old Dirty Bastard, That's right. graced us with his uh, existence. And for however brief, he died back in, I want to say, 2003, two something like that, right? Yeah, a little while back, yeah. It was a funny, it was a quick little story. Is I was in, a, I was at a uh, kind of a house party in downtown Boston that night, and someone sent me a text to say that an Old Dirty Bastard died. And I turned to the guy next to me, and I was like, oh my goodness, Old Dirty Bastard died. And he said, who is Old Dirty Bastard? <laughs> and I said, and that's when I knew I was in the wrong, I was at the wrong place. I was, you don't even know who that is. Anyway, it's, it's the bubble. I was like, come on, you know, this is, this guy's all over the, I think my mother knew who he was at the time. <laughs> uh, also, we always like to go over some prices to make us all feel very badly about, you know, what things cost today. The median household income was $7,743, but the cost of a new home was only $26,600. And the cost of a gallon of regular gas was 34 cents. Cost of a gallon of milk, a buck oh seven. So that that actually hasn't gone up too much. No, that does really. fluctuate. Yeah. Though. Um, something that did increase quite a bit is the cost of a normal comic book, twelve cents. Mm-hmm. Um, gold key comics would go up to fifteen cents this year. Uh, every other poli- every other publisher would follow suit the uh, following year in nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. So prices have not have been steadily in uh, increasing for a long time, folks. It's not it's not a brand new thing. Uh, no. Although it seems to be happening with more of a frequency and higher and bigger jumps and they get bigger jumps but hey you know what what do they say go bigger go home uh now you know pertinent to this dc comics podcast one huge thing that happened for dc comics this year is that uh with kinney international company's acquisition of warner brothers dc comics becomes part of what will eventually be known as warner communications and that sort of is a precursor to the top-down uh you know corporate running of DC comics that happens today that would lead to, you know, branching out into movies and, you know, more television, more entertainment, more, they even had a line of books and stuff, you know, Warner mm-hmm. books was big and they were the ones that did the first DC comics trade collections. Yep. Uh, just, uh, I, I like the origin of Kinney, uh, national services, which was later just called Kinney services incorporated. This was an American conglomerate company from 1966 to 1972. Its successor was Warner communications. They basically just, changed the name, and it was formed in 1966 as Kinney National Company when the Kinney Parking Company, who made parking meters, and the National Cleaning Contractors Incorporated were merged. So hmm. its origins were nothing to do Weird. with entertainment. They were just a guy, <laughs> guy made a ton of money, and you got to think how much money could be made on parking meters. As a matter of fact, the reason they changed names was there was a scandal uh, with the parking meter side of things. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all the details that I, I don't know if I put it in here, but no, I uh, think uh, this is something we we uh, we read a little bit about when we were doing our uh, comics code yeah. uh, research. This they uh, they didn't loom so large, but they did uh, they did come into uh, into the research a bit, and I'm sure we'll touch on them more. Uh, in a and not not a standalone, but as part of another one uh, eventually. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think the important thing to say though is that comics are no longer independent. Yeah. You know, it, they, they're getting folded into more of a magazine type of uh, publishing empire. You know, even Mad Magazine got absorbed into Warner uh, mm-hmm. right around, probably right around this exact same time or something, maybe a little earlier. And uh, Marvel was sort of independent, but they were always owned by Goodman's giant company. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, it's uh, it's just it's just a change for comics, and you, and after this, you're going to see a lot more licensed. You know, material, a lot of more adaptations of movies and stuff like that. 
So it's uh, it it changed it changed the look of the comics. It did, it did. Uh, in 1967, Kinney National expanded by acquiring national periodical uh, national periodical publications. Uh, this would eventually be DC, but they weren't yet called that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's funny because if you look at the comics back then, they did have a DC logo on the outside. They played but, fast and loose with that. Yeah, yeah but in I the Indicia, really yeah, in the Indicia, it didn't. It said national periodicals. Um, I think it was DC Comics on the street. And uh, yeah. <laughs> national periodicals on the on the paperwork, you know, that was the yes. way it basically worked. Now, uh, Kenny National was uh, was also they also bought a Hollywood talent agency, uh, Ashley Famous and Panavision. Uh, Ted Ashley from Ashley Famous suggested that Kenny National buy out the cash-strapped film company Warner Brothers Dash Seven Arts. Uh, they were light on funds from having purchased uh, Atlantic Records that same year. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I just want to, you know. Look at how circuitous this whole, this whole corporate yes. nonsense is, and the fact that one company needs to be bought out because they spent too much money buying another company. Another company. That, <laughs> yeah. does, does this seem like a sensible to you? I mean, I, I guess in my heart of hearts, I would hope that someone that would endeavor to put out comics or magazines would be interested in publishing and not just interested in acquiring yeah, just buying properties. properties buying. You know what I mean? And like, I mean, this is this is sort of how, you know, the material gets so divorced from the the people that make the business decisions you know it's uh they they a lot of these guys they look at the comic side of things nowadays with the movies it's a different story they absolutely they feel like they have a place to exploit that but for years it was like i'm sure every year someone had to justify the existence of marvel you know or to dc as an entity as an entity just like you know they're like why the hell are we even bothering with this nonsense you know why are we in this business yeah they probably just looked showed them bed sheet anyway i'm sorry to sorry to keep breaking (laughs) it it just it just seems it just seems like so circuitous and like meaningless you know just like let me buy this let me buy that yeah there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of rhyme or reason it's a lot of it is uh it seems like speculatory purchasing it's just like hey maybe this might be worth having yeah let me just or, it, or maybe put not it in my pocket and, you know that's, <laughs> that's about it, it. <laughs> if it, it throw it on the wall or whatever um now when the acquisition of warner brothers seven arts was completed in 69 ashley famous was sold because of uh, antitrust laws uh ted ashley was put in charge of the movie studio uh, funny that yeah how about you know, that, right? He, he gave Paid a suggestion, play? and suddenly he's part of the movie studio. All right. <laughs> now, uh, beginning with the unexpected unexpected success of the concert documentary Woodstock from 1970, the company started scoring uh, box office hits again, uh, reestablishing Warner Brothers as a you know major brand, a major studio, mm. uh, which is pretty nice for them. But what about that DC Comics? Yeah, well, there was no real immediate change resulting from this, but there was a lot of money that came in from Kinney National, and it probably gave DC Comics the cash necessary to lure Jack Kirby, Kirby away from Marvel in 1970. I have a feeling these two things came together. There were there weren't any immediate, you know, obvious yeah. changes, but due to a financial scandal involving price fixing and parking operations, Kinney National spun off its non-entertainment assets in 1972. As the National Kinney Corporation renamed the reigning Kinney National Company to Warner Communications Incorporated. We finally get that Warner name in there. Yep. Now, across the street, we got Marvel. Uh, they'd been uh, limited in the number of titles that they could send to market by its distributor. They uh, This year, they negotiated a new deal and split its three. Uh, they had three double feature books. Uh, just to make sure they fit all their characters into their publishing schedule here. And they split those three up uh, two ways. We got here uh, Tales of Suspense uh, becomes uh, Captain America and Iron Man. Not in one book, but two books. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tales to Astonish became Incredible Hulk and Submariner. 
Uh, Strange Tales becomes uh, Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, now, you can't tell it from looking at the available statements of ownership. Uh, those are those things that run like once a year in the back of the book, yeah. usually taking a chunk out of the letters page or whatever. <laughs> uh, because uh, Iron Man, Submariner, and Nick Fury, they were on a new... Uh, they were on like second class permits, so there was no carryover data for those titles. Uh, the other three, they not only kept the numbering of the parent title, so you know, Tales of Suspense number ninety nine became Captain America number one hundred, yeah. basically. Um, they also kept the same permits, so the same statement of ownership would uh, would would comply. Yeah, I mean, and these titles actually reached back into the fifties, I think. At least sure. a couple of them did. They'd originally they were like the horror or the you know arcane titles but this this was important because this would allow marvel to completely take over dc in the marketplace they had been steadily, steadily gaining ground throughout the entire 60s and about about 66 is when they started to really catch up overtake them but because of their limited number of titles i'm almost positive i think it was eight a month they could do a total yeah. uh that they could they could never really you know dc was putting out probably i don't know 30 or something crazy like that when you count in their horror and romance and stuff like that. So it, uh, you know, it allowed them to start to flood the market with product. And uh, mm-hmm. they would actually come up with a whole new distributor in the 70s that would crack the case wide open. Uh, also, I believe that the distributor that they used was owned by National. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it was the same it was deal, like, yeah. Which is, which is why they were hobbled. But I yeah, think, I they think were handcuffed. Even the corporate side of that, they saw that there was money to be made. They were like, oh, let's give them some more titles. So they seem to be uh, selling them at a pretty rapid rate. Um, but in response to this, partly, uh, or, or maybe totally, DC Comics <laughs> art director and soon-to-be editorial director Carmine Infantino, he was given a mandate to revitalize DC in the wake of Marvel Comics' pop culture success. Uh, eased out our longtime DC artist Wayne Boring, Jim Mooney, George Klein, and George Papp. Also, writers Otto Binder, Edmund Hamilton, Arnold Drake, and Superman co-creator Jerry Siegel was canned from the company that he essentially created. And uh, (laughs) I I heard a story a couple of years later, Neil Adams was working, you know, this would have been, I guess, probably early to mid-70s. He was working at Marvel, and he saw Jerry Siegel emptying out ashtrays. Ridiculous. And this was really what, you know, set him off to fight for creator rights and to get the, you know, Siegel and Schuster who, and Schuster, he had no love for, uh, he, he always said Schuster was kind of a prick, but, uh, <laughs> Siegel, he said, you know, he really wanted to give this guy, a guy that created the industry is now a janitor, uh, that didn't seem right. So, you know, no. it, it was sort of, in a way, this kind of kicked that off. I guess you could say, although I don't think he was doing a whole lot, even for DC by the later decades. I don't know what he did really. Uh, in exchange, though, for those guys, Infratino hired new talent and promotes artists like Joe Orlando, Joe Kubert, and Mike Sikowski to editorial positions. Orlando's in charge of the DC's horror and suspense, Kubert in charge of DC's war titles, and Mike Sikowski, pretty much, you know, uh, whatever's left over after Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, which were still being held by um, Boltonoff and... Uh, Weisinger. Schwartz? Oh, yeah. And Schwartz, too. Yeah, Schwartz would have been holding on to, uh, you know, Green Lantern, Flash, Adam, guys like that. So Mike Sikowski got stuff like Showcase and uh, Inferior 5 and Prez, which debuted this year and ended after the second issue this very year. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, Dick Giordano, uh, who we spoke about at length uh, during our Charlton Comics two-parter on uh, Weird Comics History, he comes over to D.C. um, 
a little bit about him is that he was he was like the first like comic friendly editor uh-huh. <laughs> over at Charlton. He yeah. actually cared about the production of comics rather than uh, seeing them as a means to an end to further. What is the uh, what is a magazine that Charlton was it running? Was, it was Hit Parader plus Hit Lyric, Parader plus Lyric books. With, I mean, these sold by the millions as comics. Yeah. They kind of an afterthought. Yeah, so Dick Giordano came in there, and he actually cared about the comics. He uh, brought back the uh, their action heroes line, which included folks like you know Blue Beetle, uh, Captain Adam, Judo Master, uh, Peter Cannon, dot 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 Thunderbolt, uh-huh. uh, all those uh, yeah, peacemakers, the question, all those guys yes. that are now DC properties. But uh, this is this is where they all come from. Yes, uh, so Giordano uh, he comes over to DC as an editor, and uh, you know since he had. Uh, been so good for Charlton, he he actually brought some guys from Charlton, including one writer who would uh, kind of set the tone for the Bronze Age, uh, you know, going into the 70s, 70s here, uh, Danny O'Neill. Yeah, uh, you know, it's this is, and even Giordano coming in, I think it, it, Absolutely. it, it signaled a change in the way the comics were going to look and be made. Uh, you know, they'd been under this Weisinger, uh, you know, Boltonoff and then regime <laughs> regime for like decades now those guys have been holding on since the 40s and they were they were just cranking out comics in the, in the same way they knew how for years they didn't have any concept of continuity or like even story arc i mean things would contradict each other in the same issue they had the same page they could, yeah. they could really <laughs> in a lot of ways they could care less you know they just wanted to make fun stories for kids and uh you know giordano was somebody that recognized that the readership was shifting older and uh, the comics responded to that. And I think really, you know, we owe a lot of the way our comics look to, you know, definitely to Marvel uh, throughout sure. the 60s. But this, too, you know, kicking kind of lit a fire under DC's ass and uh, got them to change up their ways a little bit. Plus, then the other the older guys eventually died and that helped, too. Yeah, that always helps. Another thing that happened in 1968 that was real important in comics and really important to me was uh, Zap Comics number one by Robert Crumb came out. That was published by Charles Plymel and Don Donahue for Apex Novelties, which was created pretty much just to put out this comic and a handful of comics afterward. This began the underground comics movement, which we talked about at length in a Mm four-part series all about underground comics that you can find on this feed. Or, uh, you know, Chris also has a good location to uh, snatch up a, a lot of these podcasts on his blog. Chris is yes. on infiniteearths.blogspot.com. That uh, that's right. So this was tremendous. You know, this was a huge shift, uh, you know, really coming out of San Francisco. There, when this came out, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of comics followed. We did. We read a partial list of titles very partial <laughs> on the, during yeah on the second i think we did 40 or 50 and we hadn't even come close like there were so many i even thought mm-hmm. about whether we should bother with a list because we could just spend the whole episode just reading off titles oh yeah uh, easily It'd be a long episode too it, it probably it would be yeah, it'd be a full <laughs> two-hour episode yep. um it, you know but it, it was just a a fountain of creativity and a new way of looking at you know comics i, I think in a lot of ways this was a moment in America when people stopped looking at comics as just something for children and that they could be something for adults. Uh, you know, initially the pendulum went totally the other way, very violent, very over-sexualized comics. Yeah. But they would kind of they would kind of settle out into kind of psychedelia, a little bit of social commentary and autobiographical comics. And that was uh, just changed people, you know, people's ideas of what a, con- a comic book could contain. And you made a good point about 
the uh, age the the age of kids. Yeah, because we talk about that that sweet spot is being what uh, between ten and maybe twelve, thirteen, something like that. Yeah. So you know, you, if, if you're ten years old in 1960 or 61, I mean, that's when Fantastic Four number one hits. Mm. Um, you know, if you go to 63, that's when the X Men and the Avengers hit, and uh, by 68, you know, you're a, you're a college kid or you're at least out of high school, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, you know, you're you're basically an adult, and if you stuck with the comics uh, or you know even just had them on the periphery, mm. uh, you know, your outlook on life changes. You're you're aging. You're growing up. You're maturing, hopefully. And uh, so you might not be allured by, you know, the monthly adventures of Peter Parker, but you may see some uh, allure in the books like Zap Comics. Yeah, uh, you, you've learned the, the language of comics, so it's, it's familiar to you so that when you see it, you know, it, it speaks to you. But I, I mean, I think that, that's just a great point, you know, and Marvel was that kind of uh, company that you could grow. I don't you know, really back in the 50s, they didn't think kids read comics after age 10 or 11. Yeah, they were going for three years, age eight to eleven. They had no interest in you after that. Marvel's the one that pushed it into, you know, young adults reading it, people into their teens, and then even, you know, Stanley used to go around giving lectures at college campuses. So there was a, mm-hmm. a new audience. Uh, really, it was the baby boomers, as we know. But um, yeah, that was cool. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we'll wrap up with uh, an issue that we actually discussed uh, here on this very podcast. It was uh, episode 90. We talked about Doom Patrol number 121, which was uh, came out September, October this year. Uh, this book suspends publication with this issue, and in this issue, the Doom Patrol die. Yeah, this was uh, sort of a gimme for us because yeah. cause we, uh, we really liked the Doom Patrol, and we, and we did talk about this issue. But it was notable in that this, you know, Doom Patrol was written by Arnold Drake, and he had been pushed out sometime during the, you know, between the writing and the printing of this comic. <laughs> uh, and on the, the first pages, you see what well, was supposed to be Arnold Drake and the artist Bruno Premiani speaking to you directly, uh, telling you that you, you, the reader, can save this book by, well, actually, the first they say, you know, read the story. Then at the end, they come back to say... You can save this book with a letter-writing campaign, but because Arnold mm-hmm. Drake had been pushed out, they erased his face, and they put in uh, Murray Boltonoff, the editor of the yep. book. So it was really an unceremonious kick in the pants to uh, a guy that had really taken a book uh, more than 40 issues, right? My, My Greatest Adventure 80 yeah. was the first or one, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it, it was kind of sad thing to do to him. We, you know, we both like Arnold Drake a lot, so... Mm-hmm. I hear a story like that, it makes me want to shake my fist at a DC <laughs> editorial in 1968, but that's okay. Most of those guys are, you know, dead or retired. Well, that's or, what you get for rabble-rousing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's right. He had, he had tried to unionize the place. You got to listen, listen to our uh, Arnold Drake episode. We stitched together our initial three-part bio mm-hmm. into one episode, and you will know more than you ever thought you could know about this gentleman who wrote Yes. Some of the wackiest titles in uh, for DC, and actually also Marvel and other publishers. But I think that's all we can really say about 1968, Chris. Do you have any other information for him? No, like you know, like we mentioned, neither of us were alive, so the personal anecdotes are going to be a little. Light. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't. Uh, I don't remember what was cooking on the stove when Doom Patrol 121 came out. So uh... exactly. 
<laughs> so uh, we will uh all we can do is uh reflect and uh and you know talk about it with the benefit of hindsight still yeah definitely well that, that's for sure but we, we get to look at it like totally detached from the event and everything but mm-hmm. uh you know, it's just still a crazy time in comics. Where I Certainly. feel like what was reflected in the world and on the street is reflected in the changeover in comics and probably many other industries if you wanted to look at it. Because like we, you know, talked about a second ago, the baby boomers were coming of age and now mm-hmm. a massive number of people had their wants and needs in the world. And those had to be catered to. It was to. a whole new market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It, and just a shift in ideology. It, the, that that is for a podcast with much greater breadth than we, we have here on the uh, the comics books thing. But um, yeah, it's, it's got more than four colors. We're not very we can't in. we can't get too into it. You know, <laughs> like I say, that Vietnam War stuff. You could you, that could definitely be a long series in and of itself. I was telling Chris we we put this together, and I initially started putting some of the. There was a lot of stuff that happened in the Vietnam War this year, and then I was like, this is not a war podcast, you know what I mean? Like, you could obviously just go on and on about just the campaigns and the things that happened this year, but we didn't. Now, next week, we do have Mother Panic number three, Uh, right? Am I right about that? It's got to be up to issue number 14 by now, right? I know it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's issue number three. Yeah, it's, uh, and we know it's out. It does exist in the world. So uh, there's no escaping it this week, Chris. You got to do it. And start digging a hole. That's right. Well, you know, maybe if you if you start reading like a letter an hour, you can get through it. Uh, you know, that works. Take your medicine little bit by bit. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, the week after that, I'm almost positive we have Cave Carson. Uh, has a cybernetic guide number five, but don't quote Very me good. on that because I was wrong about Mother Panic this week. So yeah, the uh, the the solicitor they're getting kind of strange because uh, mm. like we even mentioned that you know we've got the Doom Patrol director's cut coming out March first, but also the next issue of the Doom Patrol comic is solicited for that at least in some places. Hmm. So we yeah. don't know if that's just a, a holdover from an old uh, an old solicit or if it's the legit solicit. Yeah, I know what we're hoping for, but uh, yeah, I mean that, that means it's just a few weeks away. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see what happens. We can we, we'll talk about it if it exists. If it doesn't, yes. we, not much we can say. We'll talk about. Don't it hold year. your breath. Yeah. But uh, I think that's all we got this week. So uh, until next week, I want everyone to keep it young and animalistic. For the benefit of Mr. Kite, there will be a show tonight on trampoline. The Hendersons will all be there. Later, Pablo Frank is there. What a scene over men and horses who.